Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. From the Wall Street Journal, this is Bad Bets. I'm Ben Foldy. Over the last three episodes, we told you about how Trevor Milton went from dropping out of college to becoming a startup founder whose net worth briefly put him among the richest people in America. We told you how Trevor used Twitter and Instagram during his remarkable rise, how it helped him promote Nikola as it was going public, and drive it to a valuation that, despite it not having brought a single truck to market, was at one point worth more than Ford. But there were some doubters in the crowd. They'd often criticized Trevor online, where he spent a lot of time courting retail investors. And sometimes, Trevor took the bait. Here he is in a video he posted on Instagram. What's up, everyone? You know what today is? Trolls with Trevor. That's right. That means we're going to have a little bit of fun. Thanks for the hat, by the way. I appreciate it. In the video, Trevor bends his head toward the camera to show the words emblazoned on his baseball hat. Trevor with trolls. And then he starts reading specific comments from the people he's calling trolls. Like this one, from a person who doesn't seem to think much of Trevor's resume before Nicola. From D, Trevor, you are basically went to DeVry University and work and have the work experience and resume of a babysitter. In what universe are you equipped to run a publicly traded company? This will end very badly, ugly for you, and I feel for you. I'm sorry. You may be a bad guy. Uh, <laughs> you know what? So here's the thing. Um, you're right. I never went to college. I went to one semester. And um, I guess you could say my resume is close to a baby. Maybe slightly better. I have built five companies in my life. Three of them were successes, multi-million dollar exits prior to this. And I've now built a company worth over $15 billion. If babysitters are building $15 billion companies, I'm going to start investing in babysitters. The Instagram story cuts off at that moment. But Trevor seems to say he's going to start investing in babysitters, which I have to admit is pretty funny. Here's another comment Trevor responds to in the video. This one from someone who mentions Nikola's Badger pickup truck. Okay, this next one's from Z. I I bet a buck 50 on Trevor going to jail before the Badger's out. Thumbs up. That was him, not me. That was his thumb. Uh, That's $150. You know what, Z? I'll take you up on the bet. And I bet there's a lot of people online who take you up on the bet, too. A buck 50? Coming my way, if you'll actually pay up. You probably won't. You're probably stuck in your mom's basement with your headphones, um, trolling around, and uh, just hating the world. It's kind of wild to watch the top executive of a multi-billion dollar company talking about taking a $150 bet from a stranger online about going to jail. But what would become a problem for Trevor was that some of the people who doubted his bona fides, some of them were not just internet strangers. Some of them had actually worked with him. And this episode tells the story of how they found each other, how they compared notes and began to seriously pull at the threads of Trevor's story. We should note, after his conviction on federal fraud charges, both Trevor and his lawyers have pledged to keep fighting. They haven't answered any of our questions for this podcast. Nicola said after Trevor's conviction that it was pleased to move on and focus on its business strategy. I'm going to start the story again in St. George, Utah. Who is hot? Is this your firebird? Yeah. Had that since I was 19. Just gotta get to I was outside the house of Mike Shrout, former employee of Trevor Milton. Mike worked with Trevor at D-Hybrid, 
the earlier ill-fated startup. We were walking down the same driveway where years ago, Mike had cobbled together a new natural gas technology for a semi-truck. Mike says working with Trevor had been a huge disappointment and that he ended up broken in debt. Mike says he resolved to try to put it away, move past it. But then, in 2020, just when he thought he was out, he was pulled back in. I start seeing Trevor on CNBC and seeing him on Fox Business, and I'm just scratching my head like, this is that little skinny alarm salesman kid, you know, from way back in the day. I'm just astonished, like, wow. And just a few months later, in June 2020, he got a phone call from a strange number. It's got an 801 number, so it's a Utah phone number. And I get telemarketers constantly, and so I'm like, ah, another telemarketer. And I'm like, I answer it. And it's, uh, hello, is this Mike Shrout? Yeah. The Mike Shrout that used to do dehybrid with Trevor Milton? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Mark Pugsley. I called him up and he answered and I said, look, I'm a, my name's Mark Pugsley. I'm a lawyer in Salt Lake City. I'm just investigating this guy, Trevor Milton, and I was given your name and that you might know something about it. <laughs> and I said, man, I've been waiting for this call for about 10 years. The man on the other end of the line wasn't just any lawyer. Mark Pugsley has represented whistleblowers in some of the biggest white-collar cases in the region, including one that got a lot of attention when it led to several criminal convictions. That case was about a billion-dollar tax fraud and included members of a polygamous group. And Mark says Utah has been great for building his practice. There's a lot of fraud. At one point, Utah actually led the country in Ponzi schemes per capita, according to one tally that Mark did. We actually have a a regional office of the SEC in Salt Lake, which is unusual for a city of our size. We're not that big of a city, but there's so much fraud. And it goes way back, by the way, there's a history of fraud in Utah that goes back to the penny stock craze. There were just, for whatever reason, there was a lot of it. The lawyer Mark says many of his clients are people who invested their money with a fellow church member, which in Utah is usually the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons or LDS. And that was the case with the person who first asked Mark to look into Trevor Milton, an old friend of Trevor's named Darren Brooks, someone who's never publicly said he'd participated in a whistleblower complaint against Nikola until now. We heard from him in a previous episode about how he invested $30,000 in a company Trevor had founded, Lexon Industries. Late one night, you know, we talking on the phone and he said, look, he goes, I, we've got to have some investment capital. And I didn't have a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm a nobody at that time. And I'm like, what are you talking? He goes, as much as you've got. And I'm like, well, I don't have a lot. And he goes, can you do 30000 So Darren invested $30,000. And more than a decade later, Trevor offered to pay back half of Darren's original investment. Trevor wrote in an email that it was, quote, out of the goodness of my heart. Darren accepted the offer. So I took the 15 grand, and then I see the headline that he purchased a ranch in Utah for $32 million. And now I'm really, really angry. So an angry Darren reached out to the lawyer, Mark Pugsley, kicking off his investigation into Trevor. One call led to another, and soon Mark had found his way to Mike Shrout, a guy who was there at the beginning. He didn't tell me everything about how he found me, but he mentioned that he had talked to a few other dehybrid people and they kept bringing my name up. I think we probably spent two hours on the phone. <laughs> it's like him telling me his story and everything about him. You know, I mean, Mike's a talker. 
I just remember thinking, wow, this guy, this is the guy. I found the guy. Mike led Mark through his entire winding history with Trevor Milton. The CNG conversions. The Swift semi-truck in his driveway. The buddy deals. Mark, the lawyer, asked Mike if he had evidence to back up his story. Mike, being the archivist he is, said of course he did. Mike jumped into this project with Mark. That's Miranda Shrout, Mike's wife. And next thing I know, like every single box in our house is being torn apart, whether he's looking for a phone or a jump drive, like everything got turned over in our house because thankfully Mike did keep records. Mike took all these records and started to piece them together in his garage. And that's where he and I were standing back in July. It was one of the reasons I'd come to St. George. We just got to get the garage remote out of here real fast. Wow, so this is, this is like just a garage of documents. It was a sight to behold. It was full of boxes of documents, parts he'd designed, machine tools, and many, many whiteboards. Well, you can, here's a few of my old whiteboards. Yeah, just to describe for listeners, there's at least, let's see, just count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine whiteboards. I mean, I couldn't find enough places to keep track of notes. There was so much information and clues out there. Even the panels of the garage door were covered in Mike's precise and tiny handwriting. Notes, diagrams, timelines. It's a to-do list of, of how to take down Nicola. And that's your Friday. I noticed a quote from the New Testament, scrawled on a tabletop between all the Milton miscellanea. God hath not appointed us to wrath. That June, Mike says he started spending day and night in his garage. It even took over a vacation that his wife Miranda had planned. We're headed to a cabin. This is supposed to be relaxing. And Mike has bins and bins of cameras and thumb drives and files and pictures. And our room is set up like this weird battle station. Everybody else is like swimwear and fishing poles. And and I've got whiteboards. I mean, he was all in. We were, we were both all in. Mike said that for years, he'd kept all these documents and records without knowing exactly why he was holding on to them. And when he began sharing them with Mark Pugsley, the lawyer, Mark said he saw the beginnings of a potential SEC whistleblower complaint. Basically, the SEC has this program where if someone alerts them to wrongdoing and the SEC acts on the tip, then the person who gave them the tip, if it's helpful, can get a share of the penalties or judgments that result from the SEC investigation which can actually be a ton of money. The biggest whistleblower awards from the SEC have exceeded $100 million. So if the SEC took action on their complaint, Mike and any other whistleblowers could be in line for a chunk of any big fines the SEC got from Nikola or from Trevor. But that kind of payday would need a lot more than what was in Mike's garage. Mike knew about Trevor's early years when they'd worked together. But Mike had never worked at Nikola. He didn't know what went on inside the company. And it was Nikola that was the company worth billions, which meant, according to the lawyer Mark Pugsley, it was a juicier target for investigation. So Mike Shrout took it upon himself to find another whistleblower, a new recruit who could join the team, someone who worked at Nikola. You know, we'll start tearing the internet apart, looking for somebody that's disgruntled that works there, or somebody that's, you know, kind of blowing off steam on a forum or whatever. And I start finding people on Reddit talking about this, this, this Nikola Insider guy. Nikola Insider, 
In July of 2020, Mike found a Twitter account that was anonymously posting photos and accusations about what had happened when Nikola showed its first truck, the Nikola One, back in 2016. Can you read kind of the first tweet? Coming soon, the facts about the Nikola One development from an insider who was there. Spoiler alert, Trevor Milton is a congenital liar. Perhaps you doubt that I'm really an insider. Reader, I was there. And then there's a picture with that tweet that is is clearly kind of the Nikola One cab being lowered onto a chassis. And I guess that's kind of provided as proof that he was there. Mike showed me a picture in another tweet. This one of a half-assembled truck sitting in some industrial space. Nikola Insider, June 18th, 2020. <clears throat> this was the state of the Nikola One three months before the reveal. You might think that's not enough time to build a functioning truck for a company with a dozen employees and no experience building vehicles. Reader, you would be correct. So I guess you find these tweets. Does it kind of feel like you found the guy you need, the perfect? I have to talk to this person. And I, I write Nickel Insider, your posts are brutal. And then I send another one a few minutes later. Sounds like you could write volume two of the Milton scams. I could write volume one. I just keep hounding them. Finally, I get a ping back. I've only heard secondhand things that happen at Dehybrid. We'll be interested to hear what you have to say. Mike says when he saw that, he just stared at his screen. He said that he'd always felt that he'd seen a side of Trevor Milton no one else had. But at that moment, it felt like there was someone who might share his suspicions. But first, one obsessive, slightly paranoid wannabe whistleblower had to convince another to trust him. I'm typing this at noon with messy hair still in my jammies. You know, and I don't remember what day I showered. I, 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 I just, I'm focused on this, this thread here, and I'm not walking away from it until I get an answer. Whoever Nikola Insider was, they were taking a risk publicly calling out Trevor Milton. Trevor seemed to relish taking on the people he thought were out to get him. And Nikola had a lot of money to spend if it ever decided to sue critics of the company. Mike read out other messages, where Nikola Insider told Mike they were afraid of Trevor figuring out their identity. Yeah, I know he's dying to know who I am so he can come after me. I'm guessing he has a list of less than 10 people he suspects, and I'm sure I'm on that list. I've held back on posting some things I have that would make the list too short. Nikola Insider's caution also meant that they weren't too trusting of strangers on the internet. So Mike pointed Nikola Insider towards someone he trusted, an actual whistleblower attorney, Mark Pugsley. I'm encouraging him to get, get in the loop with Mark. I said, I'll give you his cell phone number right now if you'll call him. Right now, you're just an opinionated guy on Twitter with a big bullseye on his back. Call Mark and whistleblower protections begin to happen. So at this point, you... I'm, try- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to recruit Nickel Insider. I am not taking no for an answer. I mean, I'm not, I can't bully him. Sure. But I'm just, I, I'm just like, look, take the safe road, take the, you know, take the financially beneficial road. And at this point, do you think it's likely you'll get a reward at some point? Well, that's the hope, yeah. Within a couple days, Mark Pugsley's phone rang. I got a call from Nickel Insider, and I explained kind of what we were working on. Uh, he explained what his role at the company had been, um, and he agreed to work with us. So, Nikola Insider, can you introduce yourself and tell me who you are? So, I'm Nikola Insider, and I'm also Paul Lackey. Paul Lackey. The same Paul Lackey we told you about last episode, who worked on the original systems of the Nikola One and watched in astonishment as Trevor told the world 
the inoperable truck was a fully functioning hydrogen semi. Paul explained why he'd started tweeting as Nikola Insider. In the three years since he stopped working with Nikola, he said he'd tried to share his story of the Nikola One reveal. I started thinking about possibly getting the story out via journalists. And they were very interested in the story, but they couldn't get anybody to go on record or even anonymously to corroborate it. But then he watched the company go public with a lot of fanfare. Now you've got basically retail investors, people who have absolutely no way of knowing that they're being lied to. So he tried again after Nikola went public. And in June of 2020, when Nikola was worth billions, Bloomberg ran a story that featured Paul's allegations. Paul wasn't named in the story, but it read that Trevor, quote, exaggerated the capability of his debut truck. Trevor responded the day the article came out, calling the article, quote, a hack job, and tweeting that the reporter should be fired. He tweeted a letter sent to Bloomberg by Nikola's top lawyer, threatening to sue for libel and subpoena his source's identities. He tweeted, quote, The best part is, the interview was recorded, so it will be fun suing the expletive out of them now. I can't wait to subpoena him and his editor. End quote. He never did. But Paul said he took that threat personally. What was driving you at this point? Uh, moral outrage, to be honest. Um, I felt like he was just doubling down on the lie. For him to just say, oh, it's all lies and I'm going to sue you over this really kind of outraged me. I was in full war mode at this point. The day after those tweets from Trevor, Paul started tweeting as Nikola Insider. And a month later, he got that first DM from Mike Shrout. And when he learned about the SEC's whistleblower program, he decided to join the team. So Paul started sending Mike and the lawyer Mark the materials he'd been saving. Documents, emails, photos from his time working with Nikola. They were on the phone constantly, but never met one another in person. It was the summer of 2020, the first summer of the COVID pandemic. But it was a lot of material. And Trevor was often making big claims with every media appearance he did. And like I said in our last episode, in the summer of 2020, Trevor did a lot of press. The volume of information that we were trying to deal with was too big for me. I knew we needed more help. We needed a team of professional researchers to come on board. And so it was around that time that the team digging into Trevor Milton's past grew larger. After the break, the short sellers. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com foef podcast to secure your spot. And 
it's a quiet, unmarked street with hedges and lush greenery. Privacy hedges, probably 10 feet tall on both sides, huge, huge trees. This past summer, I drove with my editors through the Pinamanini, through the Hamptons, one of the ritzier parts of New York's Long Island. She rolled on the window and smelled the air. The Hamptons are where a lot of hedge fund managers and Fortune 500 CEOs spend their summers. But we were there to visit a short seller. This short seller and his team played a major role in the events that led to Trevor Milton's unraveling. But before we meet this particular short seller, I want to talk about short sellers' role in the wider world of finance. Think of investing as making a bet. And most people investing are betting money that something, a house or a share of stock, will be worth more in the future than it is now. And this, in investing terms, is called going long. Then there are people who take the other side of the bet, believing that something will be worth less in the future. And this is called going short. Probably the most famous of these trades, the quote, big short, was when some people made huge profits correctly betting that the U.S. real estate market would collapse in the mid-2000s. There are people who specialize in these bets, called short sellers. They do deep research, hunting for companies or assets that they think the markets have overvalued, often because of suspected fraud or other shenanigans. They borrow the stock and sell the shares. If the price falls, they can buy cheaper shares and use them to replace the stock they borrowed, pocketing the difference as profit. And if they're right, like they were in the financial crisis, they can make a lot of money when other people who went long are losing their shirts. For a long time, most short sellers were working behind the scenes. They worked largely at secretive hedge funds that helped protect against downside risk for big institutional investors. But the internet changed all that. Anyone can share anything at any time. And so you get the Trevor Miltons and Elon Musks of the world, execs who talk directly to investors on Instagram and Twitter about their business in ways that might affect the stock price. And in response, you also have what are called activist shorts. These folks don't content themselves with quietly making a bet against a stock. They want to tell the world why they think a company isn't worth what the market thinks. And they publish it on the internet in hopes it'll help their bet. And like I said, short sellers tend to make money when others are losing it. So they make an easy enemy for executives and retail traders alike, who see these short sellers as nefariously attacking the companies they believe in. Some short sellers have even been called trolls. But they're not just any trolls. They're trolls who are often very good with Excel and have forensic accounting experience looking for the goods that can take down a company. And successful ones can make enough of a living doing this that they can spend their summers out here in the swanky surroundings of the Hamptons. Hey, how's it going? It's been a long time. Hi, Nate. The short seller we'd driven all the way from the city to see is Nate Anderson. Nate's tall and skinny, with short brown hair and a beard. He looks kind of like a grad student, the kind of guy who pulls all-nighters working on his thesis. He's soft-spoken. He's not what you might expect for someone who's been called an internet troll. Some activist short sellers come off as brash or blustery. They can even sound, well, a bit like Trevor, like they're selling a story. Just a story about why a company is crappy, rather than the next big thing. Nate, on the other hand, he's more reserved. And we found out quickly, he's not a fan of sitting down for long interviews. Oh, you have notes. You have, like, serious questions? We thought I was going to do, like, a five-hour unstructured freeform jazz. Absolutely audition. not. No, we should. We'll no, do that no, no. another time. All right, all right. Um, Compared to the other short sellers I've come across, Nate's not a big talker. But he doesn't need to be for companies to fear him and his track record. When his firm, Hindenburg Research, publishes a report on a company it's shorting, 
I've seen that company's stock go down within seconds. A sign that some traders have algorithms that will sell a company's shares the second Hindenburg tells the world it's short on a stock. But it wasn't always this way. And really, it was Nikola that put Nate on the map. So it's June 2020. How does Nikola make its way to the Hindenburg radar? Well, for me, the first time I'd ever heard of Nikola was pretty soon after the IPO. And uh, Trevor Milton was a very active presence on social media, a very gregarious Twitter presence. And remember, he put out a tweet celebrating the stock price, saying, we did it. I remember it. This was the tweet from when Trevor first came onto my radar, too, the day I wrote my first story on the company. I pulled it up on my phone and read it. I've wanted to say this my whole adult life. Nikola is now worth more than Ford and FCA. Nipping on the heels of GM. It may go up or down, and that's life, but I'll do my part to be the most accessible and direct executive on Twitter. Others will follow. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, So when I saw the tweet, I just remember thinking how unearned the statement was to say that Nikola is worth more than Ford and Fiat Chrysler, who two companies that collectively have produced millions of cars and have tons of customers, the whole industry supply chain. And here was Trevor Milton bragging that he was worth more than them after having produced a total of zero cars, trucks, having no revenue, clearly laser-focused on his stock price. Nate says he'd seen this type of executive before. And in his experience, it doesn't end well. That is almost always a hallmark of an executive that is poor at actual execution, but great at hyping up promises and plans. And it's usually a marker that this is a thing that's worth looking at. Nate says he's had a lifetime of raising questions and obsessively looking for answers even when it meant going against the herd. He told me as a kid, he tried to convince the head rabbi at his Orthodox Jewish school that the theory of evolution was compatible with the book of Genesis. The rabbi wasn't convinced, and Nate left the school shortly after. Later, when Nate started working in an investment firm, he says he was a thorn in his manager's sides. My job was to find good investments, um, and within that world, I would find occasional fraud, Ponzi scheme, And my boss at the time would be like, great, good job. Okay, now let's find the good ones. And I would just get obsessed with the the fraud (laughs) and spend weeks or months like digging in and trying to understand more about the fraud and piecing it together and solving it. And they'd be like, okay, time to find good ones, right? Eventually, Nate decided to drop long investing and started short selling full time. But he quickly found being a short seller means risking complete financial annihilation. For starters, one bad bet can wreck you completely. Part of it is just math. A stock can only go to zero, capping a short trade's upside at 100%. But on the other hand, it can go up forever, meaning you can lose a lot more money than you bet if you're not careful. And even if you're right that a company is overvalued, the market might not agree with you quickly enough for your bet to pay off. There's a famous saying that the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And then there's the very simple fact that activist short-selling can mean picking a public fight with some very wealthy and powerful people. People like Trevor Milton. And Nate was acutely aware of just how intense the blowback can be from calling companies out like this. When I started publishing my findings on public companies, I got sued 
like three times almost immediately. The companies accurately assessed that I was broke and that they could crush me. This was all just five years ago. Nate lived in a tiny Manhattan apartment with his fiance and a newborn baby. Despite the, the modest rent, I couldn't afford that or anything else. I just, uh, I suppose I stopped paying rent for a while. And that didn't work out great because I started getting eviction notices. Um, so I hate to like, like, like make a lame reference to a song, but you know, like Bob Dylan's song, like a Rolling Stone. There is a line like, if you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And I was like, all right, I have significantly less than nothing right now. So I might as well keep writing, keep publishing, keep doing my thing. And the reason that Nate was able to keep doing his thing was because of his lawyer. My whistleblower lawyer basically told me um, he wasn't going to let me go bankrupt on legal fees, and he just made a bet on me. The lawyer thought Nate had something special, a real talent for finding frauds that could pay off. So the lawyer agreed to keep representing him. And Nate kept at it. By the summer of 2020, he'd cobbled together a small firm, comprising himself and four fellow researchers. The days of getting eviction notices were behind him. And that's when he got a call from another whistleblower lawyer. This one in Utah, Mark Pugsley. We should note, Mark Pugsley and Nate's lawyer work for the same firm now, but they didn't at the time. Remember, Mark was digging into Trevor Milton, but he said he needed a team of professional researchers to come on board. I had met Nate Anderson and Hindenburg Research, and I knew they have sophisticated financial guys and people who understand spread, you know, the different public filings, and they really are very good at that stuff. The Hindenburg team began looking into the Trevor Milton story. Until then, the target companies had been a lot smaller. And it soon started to look like Nikola could be the kind of short that makes a career. Oftentimes when you work on a case, if there's one key misrepresentation by a corporate executive, that can be the foundation for a, a pretty strong case. If there's two or three that can be the foundation for quite a strong case. And, and in the situation with Nicola, there were just dozens of material lies uh, by Trevor Milton. And it just seemed like this was, this was a, a very strong potential case. So Nate decided to start digging. As an activist short seller, his strategy was to do a deep dive investigation on Trevor Milton and Nicola, short the stock, and then to help drive down the stock price, Hindenburg would put out a public report. Joining Nate was a team of researchers who specialize in digging through documents and finding sources to make the strongest report they can. And Hindenburg quickly realized that for its purposes, any report on Nikola was really a report on Trevor Milton. The more you looked at, at Trevor Milton's personality, the more interesting it got. That's Christine Richards, one of the Hindenburg researchers who dug into Trevor's early history. Because this was really a story about his company, right? Like, he he's the guy with the vision. He's the one that's going to make all this happen. I mean, here's a guy who's taking a company public with, like, a $3 billion market valuation. And a few years ago, he was selling alarm systems door-to-door. -door. So right away, you're like, this is, this is unusual. Christine I'd call a luminary in the world of shorts. She was responsible for the research behind an infamous an unsuccessful billion-dollar short bet against a company called Herbalife. Anyway, Christine started calling people who'd crossed paths with Trevor in his early years. 
And there were some pretty negative experiences. That was a theme that came up again and again. They left the relationship feeling like they'd been burned. You know, they'd kind of been, been ripped off. Other members of the Hindenburg team were digging into Trevor Milton's story as well. And they say the more they dug, the more they found. Trevor had been an extremely prolific talker, with much of that talking taking place in recorded interviews. Joining me now, Trevor Milton, founder and executive chairman of Nicola. Trevor, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Trevor Milton described his media efforts around the time Nicola went public as a blitz. And it was a blitz on all fronts. There were CNBC hits and Twitter threads, sure. But also, appearances on surprisingly niche podcasts. Podcasts ranging from one titled simply The Truck Show to one called Rise of the Young, whose host, at the time, was 19 years old. What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Trevor Milton here with us. Trevor Milton is an American... The Hindenburg team says they combed through many, many interviews, and also all the posts they could find on Trevor's social media. And there were a lot. What's up, guys? Live from Nicola's headquarters. Um, My life's truly entertaining. I get a lot of fun. I mean, we just had an earnings call today. And the news was actually really good news. I mean, we beat our earnings by 20%. We have a lot coming out. The Badger uses that exact same technology that's in that truck right there. That's a billion dollar program. We have the most advanced fuel cell and truck in the planet. Look at that thing. If you don't like me, there's 10,000 other jackasses out there that sit behind a desk that never tweet, never talk to you, and you can go invest all your money in them, okay? From Nate's perspective, watching Trevor's appearances, he says he saw a prolific salesman prone to misstatements. I basically paused everything else that we were working on and started um, working on Nikola full-time. Like full-time meaning seven days a week for probably 14 hours a day. I remember Nate giving me a call one day out of the blue. Again, Mark Pugsley, the lawyer. He just said, I cannot believe this guy lies about everything. And that became kind of the foundation of the short report, a list of lies. I'm going to take you through some of the highlights of that list, which would become Hindenburg's report. Item number one, solar panels. This one's quick. It's about claims Trevor Milton made at a talk he gave in 2019, where he praised Nikola's eco-friendly headquarters. We don't just build the trucks with zero emission as our factory. We have the only off-grid headquarters that we know of. Um, completely off of hydrogen, battery, and solar. We have 3.5 megawatts of solar up on the roof, producing about 18 megawatts of energy a day in our headquarters. And he claimed to have uh, you know, tons of solar panels on the roof of Nikola's headquarters, you know, generating all the solar power for the company. And we just pulled up a picture on Google Earth, which shows like overhead views of buildings, and saw that there were no solar panels on the roof. We just lied about that. And on video. Um, you just kept finding these interviews with these, like, almost silly lies. But that was just a small thing, a white lie of little consequence. A lot of Trevor's statements, though, were about things that played a big role in how Nikola was valued by investors. And if they weren't true, it could really hurt Nikola's share price, exactly what Hindenburg was after. And item number two, proprietary technology, was one of those things. Trevor said several times that Nikola had breakthrough technologies that were the envy of the electric vehicle world. In late 2019, for instance, just as Nikola began discussions to go public, the company put out a press release saying it was unveiling a, quote, game-changing battery technology. Nate read Trevor's quote from the release. This 
is the biggest advancement we have ever seen in the battery world, said Trevor Milton, CEO of Nikola Motor Company. We're not talking about small improvements. We're talking about doubling your cell phone battery capacity. We're talking about doubling the range of BEVs and hydrogen electric vehicles around the world. The implications of what Trevor is saying here are staggering. If it were true, electric vehicles would be able to travel twice as far as they can now without recharging. It could be the cure to range anxiety, the common fear drivers have of running out of charge on the side of the road. Trevor tweeted that the technology could be worth hundreds of billions of dollars, and that, quote, it's real. I've seen it with my own eyes. But then, nothing. When the Hindenburg team looked into the claims, it found a lawsuit filed by Nikola. It showed Nikola had planned to acquire a small battery company, but the deal fell apart after Nikola executives learned the firm's president was facing federal criminal charges. He later pleaded guilty to a count of tax fraud. A Nikola internal investigation later produced a report in which Nikola's top executive said the battery press release was a, quote, terrible and stupid idea, and, quote, embellishment and fiction, and that the company's research efforts on batteries were years away from bearing fruit. In another example of Trevor talking up Nikola's tech, he boasted on social media about Nikola's inverters, which he said were done in-house. Inverters are also critical technology for an EV company. They take the electricity stored in the battery and convert the current so it can power the motors. And Trevor highlighted the inverters when he filmed a video, which was posted online, about the Nikola 2, the second-generation truck. All right, everyone, what's up, man? I'm going to give you guys a nice little video of uh, the Nikola 2 powertrain broken down. I'm going to try to go through each component one by one to show you guys what it is, give you a little more information, data that we probably haven't shared with uh, many people ever. So, Trevor pointed the camera at various components, including the inverters. All inverters on the Nikola truck are probably some of the most advanced software systems that, I've, that I know of anywhere in the automotive world. Why do I know that? It's because other OEMs are asking us to use it. Trevor was saying that Nikola's inverter technology was so good, other automakers wanted it from them. Paul Lackey, a.k.a. Nikola Insider, said this caught his attention. So Trevor was talking about the inverter on this truck, and he was saying, yeah, we've got this inverter that we've developed, and it's one of the best in the world. As he's doing that, he's pointing the camera at the inverter. This is, a, uh, this is one of the inverters here in the back of the truck. There's four of these. So you have an inverter per motor. So you have four inverters, four motors. This allows you to have torque control of every wheel independently. The inverter I immediately recognized as an off-the-shelf unit. An off-the-shelf unit, meaning an inverter any other company could buy just as easily as Nikola had. It was an inverter that I was very familiar with. I was able to recognize it on site immediately. In the video, you see what looks to be a big metal box with a complicated array of heavy-duty cables snaking out of it. And between those cables, Paul noticed what looked to be a piece of olive green tape. It was pretty ridiculous. He had a piece of tape over the logo so that people wouldn't see the name of the company that had created this inverter. Hindenburg compared a screen grab to a photo of the original inverter. And it's clear, in Trevor's video, the tape is covering a sticker with the model number. This is a big deal, because some companies spend huge sums on developing these technologies because they can provide a crucial competitive advantage. Later, when Nikola settled with the SEC over charges it defrauded investors, one of the agency's findings was that Nikola did in fact buy its inverters off the shelf and did not have any proprietary inverter technology. Item number three, hydrogen production. When it came to hydrogen, 
Trevor often said Nicola was selling both the chicken and the egg. He said it would become the Amazon of heavy trucking by selling trucks and running the fueling stations. We talked about this last episode. But for that business model to catch on, Nicola needed a way to produce hydrogen cheaply. Cheaply enough that it could compete with diesel fuel. This wasn't something that had ever really been done at scale. But Trevor said Nicola was already doing it. Here he is in 2020 on a podcast called Chartcast with TC and Georgia. Hydrogen fuel is extremely expensive to produce when we first started. And the only way to drive that cost down was to integrate it in with the truck to where when you buy our truck, we provide the hydrogen service to you, all the fuel you need for the entire life of it. And you just pay us per mile. And by that, we've been able to redu- we've been able to chop the cost of hydrogen from $16 a kilogram down to, we're, we're down below $3 a kilogram on our hydrogen now, which is $4 per kilogram as parity with diesel. It's a remarkable claim. Trevor just said Nikola had cut the cost of hydrogen by more than 80%, making diesel obsolete. And when Hindenburg looked into this claim, it first looked at who inside Nikola was responsible for running this part of the business. The director of hydrogen production and infrastructure at Nikola. This was a major job. This was a huge undertaking, and it was a major responsibility. Nate said that he expected whoever had achieved these breakthroughs to be someone with an extensive background in the field and impeccable credentials. It turned out it was his brother. Trevor's brother, Travis Milton. So you pulled up his LinkedIn, and what did you see? On Travis Milton's LinkedIn profile, well, he said that he was self-employed in Hawaii, uh, that he was the president of his self-employment, and that he worked in Hawaii for like 10 years doing unspecified jobs. That's pretty much it. And what evidence did you find when you kind of started digging? We found some old websites that uh, was basically a fan website for a barn that Travis Milton had helped construct. So I guess Travis had helped uh, decorate the staircase of the barn and had also paved uh, a driveway. And to be fair, it was was a beautiful driveway. I mean, really nice. Did a great job with the driveway. Travis Milton declined to comment. Trevor's lawyers and Nicola would later say that when Trevor made those statements about the cost of hydrogen, not only was Nicola not making hydrogen at that price, it wasn't producing any hydrogen at all. In court, Trevor's lawyers said their client had been speaking about the plan for Nicola's future, not its present. They said he'd been talking about internal company forecasts that showed a target of making hydrogen for less than $4 a kilogram. These are just a few of Trevor's statements and claims that Hindenburg was building into what would become a 15,000-word report on Trevor Milton and Nikola. But there was something else in the report that would get everyone's attention. They brought the Nikola out on a flatbed trailer, and the engineer guy there said, we can't drive it for these reasons, so what we're going to do is coast it down the hill. Next week on Bad Bats. Trevor Milton's critics find the coup de grace that makes their report a sensation. And Trevor responds. The more they come at me, the stronger it makes me. And the more that people end up loving us. That episode is out next week on November 4th. A quick housekeeping note. Thanks everyone for listening to the show. If you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks again. Bad Bets is a production of The Wall Street Journal. This season is produced with Jigsaw Productions in collaboration with StoryForce Entertainment. 
This episode is hosted by me, Ben Foldy. The series is directed by Sruthi Pinimanani. Scott Salloway is the supervising producer. Ken Brown is WSJ's financial enterprise editor. Shane McKeon, Frank Matt, and Garrett Graham are the producers. Editorial consulting by PJ Vogt. Fact-checking by Elizabeth Moss. Sound design, original composition, and mixing by Armin Bazarian. For The Wall Street Journal, Daniel Rosen is the co-executive producer of WSJ Studios. Ben Weltman is the senior executive producer. For Jigsaw Productions, Stacey Offman and Richard Perello are executive producers. For StoryForce Entertainment, Bly Pagan Faust and Corey Shepard Stern are executive producers. Special thanks as well to WSJ's Charles Farrell, Jamie Heller, Brent Kendall, Christina Rogers, Corey Ramey, James Finelli, Rick Brooks, Emma Moody, and Jessica Fenton. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>